Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Number two of our program. Appreciate you spending some time here with Trent and I momentarily. Derek Duke from HeartlandCollegeSports.com will pick his brain on Oklahoma, Iowa State coming up here Saturday, 11 o'clock kick. ABC has it. If you are a DirecTV customer and you won't get it, you can't figure out how to get it, turn the radio on. The game airs down the hall here on 100.3, the bus uh, coverage on the Cyclone Radio Network getting underway at 9 a.m. Zubin Mahente coming up in 20 minutes or thereabouts. Our friend from ESPN and ESPN Radio, though he's going back to TV next week, Trent, doing some college oh. football stuff. Uh, so we'll talk to Zubin coming up here uh, in about 20 minutes. Right now, Derek Duke joins us as we uh, take a good look at the championship game, Oklahoma and Iowa State. Oklahoma favored by a handful or so. Iowa State got them early in the season. Uh, we will see. A very impressed. Uh, Bedlam got my attention. I thought that was Oklahoma's best game of the year. Let's get Derek Duke in here, see what he thinks. Derek, uh, Trent Condon, Ken Miller, thanks for coming on. How are you, Derek Duke? Doing fantastic. I'm excited for another week of football. Happy to have some football yes. during these times and definitely excited for conference championship weekend. Now, I, I am too. Uh, you know, there were some disappointed maybe fans out there that uh, Oklahoma and West Virginia didn't get to play this year. I'm good with it. Um, it's, it's, it's COVID, right? Uh, that's, uh, uh, I don't think there was anything. There was no malfiance, in my opinion, like we've seen with other conferences, but, uh, uh, we're going to see these two teams collide. Where do you think Oklahoma? has improved since they saw Iowa State uh, early in the season. That game, uh, one of the early Big 12 games uh, in conference play uh, way back in first week, I want to say, in October. Uh, what's different about Oklahoma now, Derek? I think offensively for Oklahoma, they've kind of established themselves. But they have an identity now on offense. They like to run the football. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, their running back, is a big 245-pound running back. Averaging nearly six yards a carry. He was not healthy in that first game that they were at. So he's back for Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler seems to be like a different, completely different player ever since the Texas game. You know, he was benched in that first half. In the second half, he came back strong. He's been a different player since then. Also, they've had some wideouts emerge. Uh, so it's Marvin Mims, Austin Stogner, uh, one of their key tight ends. He's a guy that Spencer Rattler's really been co- uh, comfortable with over the past few weeks. So they've been kind of rolling on offense, but perhaps for me, defensively, they've had a complete new shift without under Alex Grinch. He's, he came in last year, really turned around that defense last year. We thought we'd take a step back this year, but really they've almost improved in many areas. And for the key for me is for them has been their defensive line, uh, Isaiah Thomas, mm-hmm. Perrion Winfrey, and Ronnie Perkins. And Ronnie Perkins was a guy that was not there in that right. first matchup 
who has really been a difference maker for Oklahoma up front. And you can make an argument that he is the best player in an Oklahoma uniform, not just on the defensive position, but throughout the entire team. He has been a revelation for them defensively. You know, that defense has played so much better than the early portions of the season. And I really thought it started before overtime and before really the last drive in that Texas game. You could see at least the groundwork started to build. Now, the schedule outside of the Oklahoma State game has not been the most difficult for Oklahoma here over the last month plus. Does that play into the game at all where there hasn't been certainly a heavyweight there for the Sooners to go up against and this will be the best team they've seen in a long time? I think they got a good wake-up call against Baylor. For me, if they were just kind of blow everybody out, maybe mm-hmm. I'd feel a little bit different. But I think that Baylor game a couple of weeks ago yeah. really gave them a wake-up call that they needed. If they would have lost that game, uh, that would have been huge, obviously, and that would have motivated them even more. But right now, I, I think that was a great wake-up call for Oklahoma. I think that's exactly what they needed before going into a matchup like this. Uh, where, From where you sit, uh, what do you see different about Iowa State? Brock Purdy has been a different quarterback uh, this last couple of weeks. Uh, he's, he's, he's more accurate. He's not making those mental mistakes that were there, not taking those chances as we saw earlier. When you look at Iowa State, what do you see that's different from their perspective? I think this year we, we all kind of talked, we expected Brock Purdy to be this, this superhero, the guy that's just going to carry the offense. And it's really been Brees Hall, the nation's leading rusher, that has taken over the offense. He is the engine that makes that offense go. And you mentioned Brock Purdy becoming a different player over the past few weeks. You know, early on he was really struggling, and I was really worried about where he was maybe mentally and physically at some points. But ever since the second half of the Baylor game, He's completed over 75% of his passes, has thrown for over 900 yards, has 10 touchdowns, and zero interceptions. And for me, he is red hot right now, and you combine that with Brees Hall in that running game, it's a huge recipe for success. I have a hard time seeing teams really trying to stop that because you can't really key on just Brees. You can't really key on Brock Purdy's throwing abilities. But with that, I will say I also like to see these tight ends emerge, and I've seen you know Chase Allen, Dylan Sainer, obviously Charlie Kolar. These guys are getting really involved as a unit, maybe not just one player. And also, I think really the key for Iowa State for me going into this season was who was going to be that wide receiver that emerged. Now I'm starting to see Xavier Hutchinson be that guy consistently for them. Derek, a few weeks back you uh, had an article at Heartland College Sports that you were fired up and it made me smile because you're absolutely right. Mike Rose was not among the, was it the semifinalists or finalists for the Buckus Award? Best linebacker in the country. They're guys from Colorado. There were guys from Utah. These guys have barely played games. It's it's incredible, yet I guess it shouldn't be. My question first, before we get into Mike Rose and the snub just being ridiculous, is these national awards. You watch Big 12 football. We, we're at the crossroads. We watch Big 10, Big 12, but we don't watch a whole lot of ACC, a whole lot of Pac-12. What is the best way to determine these national awards in your mind? I think you need to look at the full body of work before we start getting any kind of early votes. And and this is one thing I really don't like about the Heisman necessarily because you will have people that will vote before December even comes around. Some people will put their vote in, you know, by mid-November already. And there's still key games to be played. I mean, some of these games in late November are determining who's going to be going to the conference championship games. So you want to see how these players perform and obviously those key moments. But, you know, for me this year, obviously due to COVID, some teams have, you know, X amount of games and this team has this many games or what, what it may, whatever it may be. But just like the playoffs, I mean, in the overall grand scheme of things, it's like 
the amount of games played for some reason this year is almost meaningless for whatever reason. I don't understand it whatsoever. Mike Rose is a guy that's played 10 games. He's fourth in the Big 12 in tackles, 10 tackles for loss, and is tied for the uh, as a league leader in interceptions in the Big 12 with four interceptions. And then you have a guy on, on, with uh, Utah who has played four games this season. And I don't know how you can even compare the two right now and say, oh, yeah, this guy is definitely the better linebacker. He's deserving of this award. And granted, he may be a great player, but the full body of work just isn't there for some of these guys. And for me, Mike Rose not being named a finalist obviously wasn't surprising because he wasn't even named a semifinalist. And that's kind of where I had maybe the bigger issue with it. But again, I, I, I compared stats to different you know SEC players at that time as the semifinalist. He was ahead of about seven SEC linebackers yet all the SEC linebackers got, got the nod over him. Uh, I don't know if it's conference bias, the logo on the helmet, whatever it may be. Uh, I just really felt bad for Mike Rose, and especially this year where I thought his body of work was much greater than a lot of the other uh, other guys in that in that group. Yeah, there's no doubt of the impact that he's had on that defense, and this is a defense that's got some guys, but where would they be without Mike Rose? Derek Duke, Heartland College Sports is our guest. Derek, well, who's the biggest disappointment this year in the Big 12? That's kind of tough. I would probably have to lean either Oklahoma State or Texas. And for me, going into this season, I had very high expectations for Oklahoma State. Uh, In case you didn't know, I actually had Oklahoma State playing for a conference title before the season started. And for me, it started up front on their offensive line. They completely got demolished by injuries, by transfers, guys leaving their program. So they were down, I think, three starters before the first game against Tulsa even kicked off for them. So they really was already struggling early on on that offensive line. And then the emergence uh, of Spencer Sanders, I never really saw the progressions that I needed to see to be made this year. Uh, He still was making those freshman-type mistakes. He was still having those costly turnovers, I mean, at the worst times possible for them. I mean, he single-handedly pretty much gave the Texas game away to Texas on a silver platter with his four turnovers in that game. So for me, I was really disappointed in that Oklahoma State team, especially what they had coming back with Chuba Hubbard, Tyler Wallace, and an outstanding defense this year, which is something they normally don't see in Stillwater. So for me, that was probably my biggest disappointing team uh, of the 2020 season. Texas Tech, Matt Wells, year number two. Going to survive. Going to survive, but <laughs> after year two, during a pandemic year, mm-hmm. I'm surprised there's even a hot seat here. What's going on over there in West Texas and Lubbock? Well, obviously winning has been a major issue in Lubbock uh, for the last, oh, greater decade or mm-hmm. so. So people are starting to grow impatient. I think with Matt Wells, he was a guy that I think many people like. Uh, he's definitely not a bad guy. If you talk to him, sit down with him, he's a very respectable guy. You, you know, you respect what he does. He's a great man on and off the field. But some of the decisions that we've seen in these games, you know, calling timeouts at the most inopportune time, you know, kicking a field goal on second down when he's in the ball game down two scores, there's a lot of stuff this past season that made a, me and a lot of other people scratch their heads. And I think some of the Texas Tech boosters kind of are maybe looking to kind of change directions. And the thing is, you really haven't seen the offense progress. Alan Bowman was a guy who was, he was handed to, and you never saw the progressions with Alan Bowman. Now, granted, he had some injury issues, but you never saw him grow as a passer. And defensively, they've taken steps back from where they were a couple of years ago. So for me, uh, they just let go of their offensive coordinator, uh, David Yost, so they're going to be bringing in somebody else. But Keith Patterson, their defensive coordinator, is still there. 
I honestly, I'm not sure why he's still there because their defense is it's very, very bad right now. And you can make a case that the defense is worse than the offense. So for me, I was kind of surprised maybe both guys didn't go. But uh, some changes are definitely going to be made in Lubbock. And usually whenever you fire both your coordinators or one of them, usually the next man to go is going to be the head coach. Uh, want to go on the go on record as to who you think is going to win the Big 12 championship? I've been back and forth on it for the last two days. Um, I think Iowa State covers, but with that said, I still have to lean with Oklahoma. I think somewhere around 31-28 type of ball game. Uh, For me, I think both defenses are outstanding. John Haycock and Alex Grinch are two of the best defensive minds in all of college football. I think when it comes down to it, it's going to be offensively, and I think I trust Lincoln Riley's offense just a little bit more in these situations and plus, Lincoln Riley's never lost in November. He's yet to lose a conference championship game. We'll see if that streak ends. But right now, I'm probably going to have to lean with the Sooners, but just by a slight edge. Yeah, I think Burkich has a big edge over Connor Sally in the kicking game if it comes down to it, if it is that close. Uh, look, Derek, we hope it's a close game. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge of the Big 12. Heartland College Sports, a tremendous website uh, for you Big 12 fans in the listening audience. Derek, thank you. Appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, good to talk to you. Derek Duke, Heartland College Sports. Do you have um, our predictions written down anywhere on the Big 12? I believe so. Let me uh, flip through the old notebook here. I, 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 I think we were both pretty close. We were. I, I, that I remember the Big right. Ten that I had Iowa losing to Purdue but beating Wisconsin, uh-huh. where everybody was on the same record. I just had them getting there in a different fashion. We uh both had uh, Iowa st- uh, we both had Iowa 5 and 3. Okay. I also tacked on they'd play, be playing Michigan in the crossover game. Did you nice. So I had that. Did you what did, what did I pick? Did I, did you I had help? 5 and 3 also. So we but, were a game off. Okay, yep. Um Iowa State. I had 6 and 4. Okay. You had 7 and 3. You lost overall though, right? Overall, yes. Well, I mean, I didn't yeah. I didn't see beat, losing the Raging Cave. I wonder who I had beating them. Oklahoma. You had them losing game three. I put it in order here. Let me bring up the schedule. Okay. And then I That would be have been Oklahoma. To, uh, see exactly what you had. All right. I, I think it was, it was think, uh, da, 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 Oklahoma. State schedule. So the third game, well, you had them losing to Oklahoma. Yeah. And Oklahoma State. Okay. And Texas. Yeah, that's uh, okay. I had them losing to the first, all three the same as you, and also Kansas State. K-State, gotcha. I know how that one went. Did, did, we, did we forecast the championship? We did not. We did not put them in there. We got our NFL projections. Uh, we don't need to go that far. <laughs> I'm still alive. Are you? Kansas City beating the Saints in the Super Bowl. Are the Cowboys eliminated officially They're or not. am I still alive? You're still alive. You can get that Chiefs-Cowboys Super Bowl. <laughs> what an awful pick. Woof. <laughs> wow. Yeesh. It happens. Cowboys are going to finish last in their division. Don't you think? They're the worst team in that division. I think they are, too. Washington's defense is legit. Philadelphia, do they have a quarterback? Giants. Uh, Daniel Jones was back. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, I do know Zubin Mahan. Those are fun to look back on. Yes, they are. Uh, Zubin Mahante will join us next from ESPN Radio. Miller and Condon take you until noon. Disappointing on, just real quick, um, on the uh, the fact that 
we're still not going to – Brees Hall Goodson next year mm-hmm. in Cyhawk. You know, who's going to rush for more yards, right? right? Not going to be able to do those head-to-head. But fantasy, you can. We should ask him about fantasy handle. I wonder how it's He doing. told me it's not real high. It's, yeah. it's just not a, a huge number that, you know, makes – they don't have to hire another person for it, that's for sure. Oh, sure. Says so it's really low in comparison to what the sports wagering is. Something I like doing. Mm-hmm. I know plenty of people that do, but – Again, that kind of handle. And I also wonder, it's just the way that I bet, where you can join a $3 contest against hundreds of thousands of people and become a millionaire, right. those yeah. kind of things. It is that lottery ticket kind of it thing is. that, and eh, throw a couple bucks at it, have some fun. Maybe my style of wagering kind of lends itself more to that than your rec- standard recreational better. No, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I am encouraged, although Brian, it's obviously not up to him. It's a legislative decision that we might... For instance, we can't bet on Mahomes or Rogers to win the MVP of the mm-hmm. of the. You can in a lot of states. We can here in Iowa. Likewise with the Heisman, uh, you can't bet on those things. But maybe that's going to change this legislative. I session. hope so. That would be a big one. Do you think the casinos want to go? No, the- I don't. I, I thought it was a long shot when you, know, you first threw that out uh-huh. there. I think they want to get you in the building. Absolutely. There's still that aspect. But there is a huge amount of money that is in that. I saw numbers. Was it West Virginia, maybe? It wasn't one of the big states. I was shocked the amount of money that they're pulling in because, Uh well, it's it's guaranteed, right? Yes. There's going to be a 99% return on your slots. Well, you got those people. I mean, that is a guaranteed annuity, every single thing. Mm -hmm. Table games, those numbers start to creep the other way a little bit more. But you want to get those people in the building. I think you do right? too. I think you know once they can get in the building in, in mm-hmm. high numbers, right? But you know what's going to be interesting with Prairie Meadows right now? They uh, they're smoke free mm-hmm. uh, during this, and they just extended it into January. Will they do the right thing and extend it for good? Right. There's a lot of casinos you can't smoke in them anymore. <laughs> I don't get what's wrong with that. Remember that uh, video from the beginning of the pandemic of the guy in Vegas with his mask yes, on trying to have a smoke, get a puff of his heater. Yes. <laughs> well, he's playing a slot. <laughs> uh, oh, my. I sure miss it. I, I do, really too. I really and truly do. How about we go together when we can finally do this? I'm in. I've got a Just, radio studio for us. We can do our show there. Oh, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I miss the hell out. Now, look, I lived there for a year and hated every single day of it. But going there for a three or even four days too many, I think. I'm, I'm with you, yeah. That three, three days, days is that magic number. That's it. That's it. But boy, oh boy, it's so much fun. Gosh, I miss it. Anyways, uh, we'll have Zuba Mahente join us next. Miller and Condon take you until noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals, and a happy new year. From your friends at Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Go to Kia of Des Moines. Tell Memory sent you. Vasectomies. Yes, we're talking vasectomies. It's Trent Condon from KXNO. If your family is complete, the time is now to get on the horn and make your appointment with the Urology Center of Iowa. The time for my vasectomy is coming up. I set up my appointment with a great group of doctors at the Urology Center of Iowa. It was easy to do, and you can do it as well. Now is the time to maximize your insurance benefits before the end of the year. Call 515-400-3550. Again, 400-3550 to set up your appointment today or go online iowauro.com that's iowauro.com vasectomies with the urology center of iowa no ice packs or bags of peas Supply. 
Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. This is KXNO. All right, 1130, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Good for you, Rondell Moore. Just posing with the football in his right hand, his diploma in his left hand. Two and a half years. That's great. Good for you. Uh, Zubin Mahente joins the program, ESPN Radio, and maybe, maybe dipping his toe back into college football coverage on the mothership. Hello, Zubin Mahente, Trenton Ken. It's Tuesday. We are a mere six and a half hours for my favorite television show. Condon's <laughs> going to watch tonight, Zubin. How about that? I'll tell you this. I know it's going to change here. And obviously, we're looking at the rankings. But uh, we were talking about this on the show with Paul Feinbaum. Yesterday, And I know the Associated Press poll is just a poll that carries a little weight until your TV show comes on and the <laughs> rankings matter. But we were discussing this the other day. We're trying to figure out, you know, what is the most 2020 college football story of all? Is it Oregon replacing Washington <laughs> wow. out of nowhere? Yeah. Is it Liberty? Is it BYU playing Coastal? And we settled on this. If you look at the Associated Press rankings, and, I, you know, we were mentioning you know, take a picture, posterize it, get it ready for posterity. If you look at the Associated Press poll right now, the four, tell me when this will ever happen again in, in recorded history. The four teams in order, below, right below, Coastal Carolina, Georgia, Florida, <laughs> Oklahoma, wow. USC. You ever think you're going to see anything like that in your life? No. That's crazy. I didn't realize that, Zubin. Uh, right above Coastal is in the AP is Iowa State, but then Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, <laughs> and USC. You know, the show tonight, Zubin, uh, USC is maybe the team that um, I'm most anxious to see what the committee does with them. What about you? You know, Key uh, on our show, Keyshawn Johnson, huge uh, USC figure, one of the great players, all century, Pac-12 team. He unloaded this morning. It was very interesting. You'll probably find it on social I'm not much of a social media guy, but I know it's been making some rounds. He unloaded today on athletic director Mike Bone, his athletic director, yeah. by the way, uh, who I covered when I leased to live in Colorado. He was Colorado's athletic director. Then I think he went to Cincinnati, if I'm not mistaken. Um, basically, Bone was on uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, which is the show uh, that airs nightly on ESPN Radio with Ian Fitzsimmons, Freddie Coleman, Ian Fitzsimmons. And they asked him, like, why do you think you guys are right there with USC record-wise, but USC is 15th in the college football playoff rankings and Ohio State's fourth? And Bone sort of, <laughs> instead of politicking for USC, which is what I think you're supposed to do there, <laughs> he basically went off and said, well, you know, Ohio State's got some recent success, calling for a recency bias, and they're a bit of a bigger brand than we are. We play on the West Coast, they're mm. on the East Coast. And he just, he had not heard it, so we did it as a mini-story. And he just went off. I mean, he totally went off on Bone. And uh, part of it was just like, when you get an opportunity to go on national radio or somebody asks you about where we are in the program, he using the word we, to talk about USC, uh, you need to go out there and politic. You know, Mac Brown did it successfully years mm-hmm. ago when you were trying to get into a better bowl, and he most famously did that. And he was just furious at the fact uh, that their own athletic director, when given the opportunity to stump, I guess you want to call it in a political year, 
wouldn't do it. I think the one thing that's really hurt USC, and it's not going to really matter, I mean, going from you know 15 to whatever they need to go to with basically two rankings left, and obviously they're not going to be in the one that matters on Sunday most likely. And we discussed this this morning. Is USC, um, by virtue of what's going on in the Pac-12, they're not even taking on the most stout opponent they could take on. So if they need to make a great final statement, yeah, I don't know how good Washington really is, but the conference has deemed Oregon to not be as good as Washington, which is why Washington was initially in this game. So for USC, your last final attempt to put something out there for the committee to see is against the school that your own conference has determined is only the second best in its own division. So it's a total mess. And for USC, you know, they won some really close games, but they've also won a couple games by decent margins. Um, their last gasp effort is coming against a team that the, the league doesn't even merit to be one of the two best teams. So it's a real tough spot for USC. You know, it feels if the favorites all win, we know what's going to happen with the playoff, the top four. What happens if Notre Dame does get blown out, though? And Clemson, Trevor Lawrence is out there. He throws for 450 yards and six touchdowns, and it's 45-7. What do you do with Notre Dame then? Do you keep them in there? Do you give that spot to an A&M? In a blowout scenario, what happens in your mind? That's a great question because I actually think it might happen. I think Notre Dame is pretty good and better than I had expected. But I think when Clemson is clicking on all cylinders, plus the revenge factor, plus the Trevor Lawrence factor, I actually think it's happening. Um, Maybe I under, we had Ian Book on the show and he has a really great head on his shoulders and I, and I, he's a much better player. I thought he was a good player. Likewise. But he's turned into, yeah, you know, I agree, Ken. He's really turned into a great, great player. I don't know what's going to happen if the whole situation where their DC becomes Vandy's coach. I don't know how that would all work. Who would be there? Who wouldn't? All the shuffling. Um, but I just sort of feel like Notre Dame would still get in. I, A&M's case is just really interesting because for them, you really look at it and say, you know, obviously the Florida loss really affected them just because that win just doesn't seem nearly as impressive at this particular point. Not that it could get there, but there's something to be done with the fact that in a crazy scenario, and it's not going to happen. Texas A&M could have risen, technically, technically, could have risen to as high as number two in the poll and not played on championship Saturday in a championship setting. And I think that's one of the things, you know, look, Alabama's made the playoff before by not winning their division, mm-hmm. and Nebraska did it back in the BCS days. I do think there's something a little squirrely, though, in my opinion, about it had it all broken for Texas A&M the right way, and of course it isn't. But had it broken the right way and they finished, let's say, only second to Alabama in a poll, that's their only loss. The idea that they still may not control where they go seems a little strange. But I am going to say that if Notre Dame gets blown out, I still think that they make it. Uh, Texas A&M is just in an extremely odd spot of losing the one game they did and playing in the division that they did. That being said, this is essentially the moment they paid Jimbo for. So I think you can make a really strong argument for it as well. So I, I just sort of still sort of lean with Notre Dame. One more on this, Zub, and then we'll move on to uh, to other sports. Well, we'll stay with football because I'm assuming we're going to talk some NFL. Won a game last night, but when Iowa State, when the rankings came out last week, and Iowa State was seven, there was a lot of folks that thought that's their ceiling, right? Uh, I mean, it's amazing to think that there's Iowa State on the list at number seven, but. 
Florida got beat. Cincinnati didn't play. Georgia, they're a two-loss team. They were behind Iowa State last week. Georgia did blow out Missouri, which, you know, okay, I'll give you that. Miami gets crushed. Might, might Iowa State get to six tonight uh, when the rankings are revealed? I think so. We were texting a couple weeks ago, and, you know, this is something the rest of the country probably doesn't pay too much attention to, but you guys do. I lived in Iowa. I, I, you know, Gary has been pretty effusive in his praise of Iowa State. Again, I don't know how much of that has been discussed on your station or on other shows. I just think it's one of the most interesting little wrinkles we've seen in the whole tete-a-tete between Iowa and Iowa State, which generally they're fan bases that are each other's throats. I just think it's so interesting to see one of the highest-ranking athletic officials in Iowa City laying on the thick lather praise. For the Cyclones, I just think it's an incredible story that's not getting a lot of discussion. Now, there were reports, Subin, that after he said that, he had to leave the set and go wash his mouth out with soap. So, <laughs> I don't know if that was true or not. but I, I, Yeah, I think it's one of those things where there were probably a lot of black and gold-clad people opening the door to that bathroom to take him to that sink for <laughs> right. sure. But I think it's one of those situations where the residual effect, I agree with you, they like Iowa State. I wouldn't be surprised to see them move up. And, you know, this is this is the point about Matt Campbell. And, you know, uh, you guys deal with Matt a lot more than I do. He did come here years ago when we would have the coaches come in. We sort of stopped that practice in, in July. But I remember meeting with him and thinking to myself, I get it. I totally get it. And tomorrow, as you guys know, is the start of the early signing period. And this, to me, is why Matt Campbell is going to turn into a great coach wherever he goes. And maybe he stays at Iowa State. Tomorrow, Oklahoma will clean up. They'll grab some guys. And Texas is going to grab some guys. And all these other schools of higher profiles are going to grab guys. And, you know, the fax machine, which has been put into the uh, mothballs, is going to come out for its one day a year. <laughs> and guys mm. can go out and send, stay there where they want to be. I think Iowa State tomorrow will be basking in the glow of wherever they are in the playoff rankings, while everybody else will be doing that and talking about all the people that they signed. I don't think that's going to be a big subject tomorrow in Ames. Perhaps I'm wrong. I haven't followed the recruiting as closely as I normally do it with regard to Iowa State. But to me, tomorrow's a big deal for a lot of programs that have never done anything and are selling hope to their fan bases and for programs that are blue bloods and reminding you why they're blue bloods by racking up all these guys. Iowa State, I'm sure, will just play quiet and close to the vest. And it just goes to another example of the development of all the things that Campbell's been able to do. Again, tomorrow's a big day for a lot of schools. I think for Iowa State, tomorrow will be business as usual. And it's just another example of they may not win Wednesdays in February or in December, and they may not win signing day. Uh, They just win games. And I just think it's another testament to what a great job this guy has done. Over to the NFL. And uh, Zubin, we had an NFL writer on earlier today, Frank Schwab. I asked him about it. You got more of the TV angle. It's not your company. It's CBS Viacom. But... They're going to have the CBS wildcard game also simulcast on Nickelodeon in a very kid-centric broadcast. I don't know if you've seen anything about this, but I'm excited to see it with a couple of youngsters in my house and see they like football. Maybe we can get them to like football a little bit more. Just your thought overall on this idea from CBS. Yeah, I know Frank. I used to work with Frank in Denver. I really like his work on Yahoo. I Mm -hmm. I will tell you that... um, you know, for people that don't know, it's a bit, it's an insider thing, and I know you guys know, and, and I know we're in the business. Um, so Nickelodeon is in the Viacom CBS family, right? So essentially, if you get a 
uh, check cut from CBS or MTV or Nickelodeon or some of the other things, uh, or Viacom itself, uh, that are involved under the Viacom CBS umbrella. Nickelodeon is one of those companies. So it's basically like a corporate synergy play um, as opposed to, like, you know, seeing something on ABC and ESPN. I don't think it's any different than that, to be honest with you, with regards to the umbrella. Uh, obviously, Nickelodeon is, is I, think, I think the demographic is like 12-plus or something <laughs> like that. So it may not be the sports audience, but I did see a little bit of a blurb where during the game they're going to have, you know, and if you guys, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, Trent, I know your kids are too young, but I grew up watching Nickelodeon, and they're going to have all the Nickelodeon, you know, uh, bells and whistles, like mm-hmm. don't be slime and all that <laughs> sort of stuff during the game that we used to that we used to uh, watch when we were kids. Um, but I think it's cool, um, and I think it's a it's a different play to sort of get the next generation of fans going. I was actually doing a little food shopping today, and I heard Frank talk about bringing the casual fan in, the guy that listens once a week or the guy that watches once a week. I actually think it's about cultivating the next generation of fans in general. And making sure that when those next generation of fans watch, they're interested in watching on television, uh, whether it's cord cutting or streaming taking over. They just want to kind of make sure that when these games are watched, having the television experience is still an important part of it, especially for the younger demographic. I was just speaking about this with somebody the other day. The NBA starts in one week and a third of their fans are 35 and under. Hmm. And that may be part of the reason their TV ratings are down, because if you're 35 and under, you're probably playing on your phone instead of watching television. And I think the NFL realizes no matter how popular it is, they're still competing with video games, whether it's Madden or Call of Duty or all these sorts of things. And I think they need to be able to realize their ratings are best when people are watching them on the most broadly, widely available outlets. And for right now, good change. One day it will change. But for right now, that is television. Whether it's broadcast television or cable television, Nickelodeon is on almost every cable system uh, in America. So I think in addition to Frank's point of bringing in the casual fans that may want to watch a different sort of enterprise with their kids who one day will become fans, I also think it's important to make sure that younger people of any age, whether it's 12, preteen, teenager, millennial, that they realize that not only can you watch the NFL on your phone or on your tablet, but it's important to watch it on television because when the league goes out there and asks all those networks for money, the biggest thing they say is Sunday Night Football has been the biggest show on television for years and years and years, at least a decade now. And they want to make sure, even if younger people are gravitating away from television, for the time being, while television is the dominant form in the medium, that they're watching it. Uh, Zuma, my last thing for you. I I disagree with, with Frank, who's on there. He's higher on the Steelers than I think both Trent and mm-hmm. I are. I, I don't think it's just necessarily a reaction to the last two weeks. There, There's problems on that offense and, and defensive, a uh, couple of really huge losses uh, with uh, Dupree and Bush both being out of the lineup. I think the AFC is fascinating, Zubin. Sure, the Chiefs are absolutely, clearly, unequivocally the team to beat. But Buffalo's clearly got a pulse. Both the teams we saw last night, I wouldn't fall off my chair if either one of those are there. The AFC South has the Titans and the Colts, and they've been, they've had a terrific back and forth this year. So while the Chiefs are the favorite, there's some, there's some other teams that are just aren't going to roll over for Kansas City. I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm glad you brought up Tennessee and Indianapolis right now, basically with the same record, having one on each other's own uh, opposing field. So basically both road teams won the game. And the fact that 
right now the difference between the Titans and the Colts is the better record in division games. So you got to go pretty deep down the tiebreaker to get there. It's going to be an amazing race in the AFC South. I'm glad you brought that up. I'll tell you this about the Steelers. Uh, you know, every week he gives his real rankings of, you know, like his power rankings like everybody else does. And one thing I've noticed is even when the Steelers were 11-0, and there had never been a week where he had them at number one. Mm. Never. And, you know, uh, you know, the Raiders knocked off the Chiefs, maybe give the Steelers an opening there. And the Ravens went over a month without winning a game, so maybe you give the Steelers the edge there. And the Browns have been good, but they've had a couple of clunkers. Maybe you give the Steelers the edge there. He never, ever put them at number one. And I would always ask him, I'm like, you know, hey, they're 11-0. You know, the last team to go 11-0 was the Panthers. They made the Super Bowl against your Broncos. Mm -hmm. And he just said there's something missing. And the biggest thing that he said was uh, they don't have a deep passing game right now, which has been a staple of what Pittsburgh's been able to do with Big Ben. And he really believes, and I think this has been uh, pretty obvious with or without Connor, um, they can't really run the football. And when they can't run the football and they can't go deep, I just don't think in today's NFL you can win with the short passing game. I don't think that's what Pittsburgh's generally known for. They're known for running the ball and stopping the run. I think their defense is there, but you mentioned those two big members uh, that are gone attrition-wise in Bush and most recently Dupree. But he just thinks if you can't run the ball and you can't throw it deep, it's just hard to kind of get chunk yards and move it down the field when Mahomes can throw it a country mile when Josh Allen is able to zip the ball in there left and right. Uh, Lamar last, you know, last night finally looked like the guy that was the second unanimous MVP in NFL history. Uh, quarterbacking a team that finished the 12 straight wins last year. He looked to come to form. Baker from time to time can certainly make it happen. So I think it's one of those situations where I, I think he just feels not only have they lost so much on defense, like you said, but two big things in their offensive arsenal, the ability to throw deep and the ability to keep the clock moving by running the ball, running the football, is just something suddenly, for whatever reason, the Steelers can no longer do effectively. Zubin, batting down the hatches, I hear there's a major nor'easter heading your way, so maybe some snow uh, in the forecast where where you reside. It's going to be a little dangerous. i got an eight-minute walk to work. I'm going to budget about a half hour tomorrow <laughs> uh, to trudge through the snow, but hopefully we'll make it on the air at 6 a.m. <laughs> Good stuff, Zubin. Appreciate you coming on. Talk to you in a week's time. Thank you, Zubin Mahente. You got it. Take care. Yeah, good to talk to you. Zuba Mahente from ESPN. All right, so this isn't the news that I wanted to see at the end of the program, or any time for that matter. Right. And this isn't a done deal, but this Chris Ballas, who covers Michigan for the, the publication, The Wolverine. Yep, the rival site. The rival site. So like Tom Cakert, he's the Tom Cakert of Michigan, and he was the first to put out there that it's going to be Michigan and Iowa mm-hmm. at night at Kinnick uh, last week. Uh, this is his latest tweet. Sources. Michigan and Iowa in jeopardy due to COVID concerns, etc. More to come. So what seemed like trending pretty favorably that the game at Kinnick Stadium was going to happen at 6 o'clock on Saturday night, not so fast, potentially. That would be a huge kick in the you-know-what. The contract contact tracing. I thought with the daily testing that wasn't supposed to be an issue. I've lost is Michigan track. is Michigan done? Do they want to be done? Is Do they just... want to be done? They don't want to play anymore. Mm. Is it as simple as that? Maybe the kids have checked out. Maybe let's and... let's get a break. We'll come back. Let's figure out spring football. and We'll go from there. Yeah, I I wonder if if indeed that that is the case. If they 
Uh, this is like, this is the you know what's mm-hmm. Miller and Condon. Uh, we'll come back finish things up. Des Moines Sports Station fourteen sixty KX and a one hundred six point three FM. There's no place like home for the holidays, unless that place is the brand new Surety Hotel in Des Moines. Win a holiday staycation right now at KXNO.com. A one-night getaway at Des Moines' hottest new hotel. So, invite the whole family over. Then, go get some peace and quiet for yourself. The holiday staycation from Surety Hotel and Des Moines Sports Station. Ever. All right, final few seconds here of the radio program on a Tuesday. More on the developing situation with Michigan from 2 to 4 with Murph and Andy. And, of course, the Fanatics and I believe the Iowa State, the the Cyclone radio show with (laughs) Hines and Petey, that's at 5 o'clock tonight. Okay. So we'll watch that. Iowa State basketball tonight, K-State. We both watched the Drake game uh, because we were tweeting. I know you were watching Mm -hmm. or texting, rather, uh, during K-State and Drake. Uh, Drake beat them convincingly that day. Iowa State's favored by, I think, seven, seven and a half right now. This feels like this one needs to go in the Cyclones win column, doesn't it? This is one of the best opportunities for a win in the Big 12. Everybody else short of Kansas State, I think, at least has a pulse. Yeah, Kansas State's bad. They're really bad. Right. This needs to be not just a win, a convincing win. Kind of a high number. <laughs> so which way? Are you going to fire or no? I'm not. Virginia Tech's my favorite play of the night. Virginia Tech. Laying a point and a half against undefeated Clemson. All righty. Well, um... Look, Iowa and Iowa State have both been lucky getting through their mm-hmm. college football season unscathed. Fingers crossed. Uh, when it comes to COVID cancellations. Fingers crossed on this one. Thanks for being with us today. We're Miller and Condon. We're here every Monday through Friday from 10 to noon on 1460 KXNO and 